Hash Hash and Circle Up. Welcome to On On, the Hash House Harrier podcast for interviews, history, and stories. I'm your host, Ra. Today on the podcast, we're on the east coast of the U.S. again in Virginia Beach, Virginia, with a new-ish hasher. I think there's some people who started hashing before he was born, but a very active hasher, someone in mismanagement, someone you're going to enjoy meeting. Today on the podcast, welcome Saloon Door. Hi. Hi, how you doing? Great. All right, Saloon Door, let's introduce people with your origin story for hashing. When, where, and how did you get to your first hash? That takes it all the way back to, or at least for me, it seems like a long time now. In August of 2016, back in Hawaii, I had uh, just broken up with a girlfriend and I had somebody at work that had been trying to get me to go to his hiking club for about a year. And he would only ever say, oh yeah, just me and some friends are going to go hiking. It's no big deal. And finally I agreed to go with him. His name was Nubs. And uh, I show up at a cul-de-sac and I look out my car window and there's just 50 people at the end of the cul-de-sac all wearing knee-high socks just drinking beer and I call them immediately now are you here this name that you just told me is very odd and these people look kind I've never seen anything like this before and he goes oh I'm the beer meister which means absolutely nothing to me at this point and he's like don't worry I'm not there yet I'm getting ice just go up and introduce yourself and I went up and introduced myself to the nearest people. And they're just like, oh yeah, who are you? I was like, well, I've never done this before. And they're like, oh, oh, oh. Well, <laughs> we have something special planned for you then. And I had such a good time at my first hash that even though I had already paid for a $600 trip to Maui for the next weekend, they looked at me and said, hey, we have a camp out next weekend. If you want to go to that on Monday, I went straight into the, uh, the office and told them, hey, you can keep the $600 deposit. I'm going to Aloha's Labor Day camp out in 2016. And the rest is history on that one. When you meet your tribe, you meet your tribe. That is brilliant. Now I've heard of people who meet the hash and they say, we're going over here and they bought a ticket to go. I've never heard of anybody who canceled a ticket and ditched it because they met the hash. That's brilliant. All right. So Aloha Hash House Harris. 2016 had 50 people. How long did you stay in Hawaii? I'm in the Navy and it was near the tail end of my tour there, but I had 10 months to hash with Aloha before I left. Once I got into the hash, I was so excited that I just started snapping pictures immediately. So just Cameron, uh, probably about on his third hash, they had erections and they named me the hash flash. I was just running around, just snapping pictures of everyone and afraid to miss a trail because I was on Miss Man and I thought I had such an important position. We hashed every Saturday out there and it spoiled me because not only were we getting upwards of 50 people every Saturday, but it was because it's on such a day when we don't have to go to work on Sunday, it was a party kettle. And so we would go to trail with a keg of beer. There'd be usually bottles of liquor on trail and there would be on afters on after afters on after afters and then we'd always end up at a pasture's house that had a pool it definitely did not prepare me for regular weekday kettles in the rest of america let's talk a little bit about the way it was in hawaii then weather things that can bite you what's it like hashing in hawaii for people never hash there i will tell you this aloha will still always have such a special place in my mind because Obviously, there'd be some pavement pounders going through Honolulu and some of the local cities, but the majority of the trails, we were up in the mountains. Even if it was raining, it was always a light rain or shine we were going to hash. 
and you'd be on these hiking trails that would take you up these cliffs and give you all these wonderful scenic overlooks. And unlike where else that I've been, whoever the hare was, you'd have to hire a cup of beer mules that they would take off two hours before trail and go to wherever your beer check was going to be. And then by the time they got there, there'd be four or five beers gone because their job was to sit there and wait for the rest of the pack because there was no way to get your beer checks out there before trail and get back in time. So sometimes you'd be on the side of a mountain and somebody's got this huge container filled with uh, jungle juice and they're just like, here's your shot stop. Hang out here for two minutes and then take off again. And it was the most beautiful and scenic hashing on a consistent basis that I've experienced in all of my travels all over the world. Cool. Now, the beer mills, were they hashers? They were hashers. What I remember, there was a lot of NFNs that got tapped to do it, but we were definitely under the watchful eyes of, because Hazukashi was out there the entire time too. So he made sure that if we were always doing trail, quote unquote, correctly, mm -hmm. and if you did it incorrectly, I savor this picture that I still have in my phone of Hazukashi giving us this side eye. And he was always giving us this side eye when we would get a little out of hand or we weren't keeping an eye on some of the traditions of the hash. And he was just looking at us like giving us that eye of that's these younger hashers are they're doing weird stuff with their ways. Yeah, you mentioned knobs and has anybody else out there that was key in your formative hashing? Definitely. Um, I would say by the hour, she was definitely very key. And I don't know about bringing me up in the hash, but definitely encouraging my chaos behavior. And also hermaphrodites on unicycles and tube of meat, we would always seem to end up at their house because they had a pool. Once I started hanging out with them, there was a time period where we'd get together on Wednesdays for our Miss Man meetings at a Gordon Biersch. Thursdays would be drinking practice at a Whole Foods near their house. Friday would be a party downtown Honolulu. Saturday would be trail. And then Sunday, we would have the hangover trail where we'd try to polish off the keg and end up at the beach. And it was a Wednesday through Sunday for about 10 months of just straight party nonstop. It was fun, but it was definitely hurtful on the bank account. During that 10 months, were you off island? Were you hashing anywhere else? Lohawk Kennel, it's a lot of transient people and that's a lot of people that get military orders. So once you get on that island, there's not actually a lot of moving around other than that. Once in a while, the Aloha Kennel would go to the big island for something called Volcano where they'd all rent a house and hash over there. But during my time there, we just stayed on Oahu and did all of our hashing on that island. Did you get to any other hash clubs? I was pretty insulated while I was on Oahu. Even my hash attire was just a happy coat. Out there, there's patches aren't really big. A lot of merch isn't that really huge. I would just see other hashers come to the island with all these patches, and I didn't really understand how important it would be later on, but I just mainly stayed in Oahu. And did you get named there? Yes. I had gotten in a habit at the time of showing up to trail with a camelback full of margarita and I would empty out at least roughly two fifths of tequila in there and then some margarita mix and then do trail. And the day that they decided to actually name me, I didn't know what a world peace through beer day was. I just assumed it was better beer on trail. Well, because of the better beer, nobody helped me with this margarita camelback. So I finished it all by myself. And I don't remember any of my naming or about half of trail or thing until about 
11 a.m. the next day. But out of all the dumb things that I did in the two or three months time span before they named me, they eventually named me Saloon Door because I swing both ways and I'm easy to slam. <laughs> okay, your time comes to an end and you've got to leave Honolulu. What did you think was going to happen with you and hashing? And then what did happen with you and hashing? I want to say that one of the biggest things that was weighing on me at the time was this was going to be my first duty station move in the Navy. And I was going to, after four and a half years in Hawaii, only 10 of those months spent hashing. I was really sad to lose all these people. I finally made just such a real connection with, but to the people that don't have hashing, I at least knew that wherever I went, I would jump out of that and immediately have friends wherever I went. On my way to going to Virginia, I had to go to Pensacola for two and a half months for extra training. While I was there, I just rented a car and a good friend at the time, Three's Company, messaged me and he said, hey, there's this camp out that's happening in Mother Rucker in Southern Alabama. You should just drive up there this weekend. For Aloha campouts, you only pay 30 bucks. They just provide the beer and the registration for the land, but you have to bring all your own food. And so I was messaging him all these questions and he goes, nah, fam, on the East Coast, the reason it costs so much more is because everything is included. And so I appeared at this abandoned water park in Southern Alabama and popped out of nowhere. And they just, I don't even think most people remembered my name at the time. I was just known as one of the Aloha boys with Three's Company. and. That was my first ever hash camp out on the East Coast. It just ended in a bunch of mud wrestling. I did no, no better way to describe it. <laughs> and so did you get to any hashes in Florida before you left? I, it was just those two Mother Rucker campouts. I can't remember the name of the first one, but it was the second one was Float the Gimp. And then I also hashed with Survivor H3 out of Pensacola, which is where I met one, two, three, four. I'm a little cockhorn. We still talk to this day and try to meet each other at events. He's in Aloha right now. And I try to give him some of my good ideas about where to host trails over there if he wants right. to do them. Yeah. Yeah. And then you went to Virginia and how was your landing? How soon were you able to get into hashing there? I want to say I landed in Virginia on a Thursday or a Friday. And that Sunday I was out at the hash already starting to make some connections. And then within one or two weeks, I was at a local camp out in the area. Even though I had some Navy deployments coming up, I just jumped right into hashing because, you know, the military moves, you, you can roll it down. You're trying to make those connections. And all of a sudden it's just, I show up, hi, I'm saloon door. Let's have a good time. And once I found out how prolific East coast camp out season is and how big of a thing it could be. I just started signing up for them left and right when I was in town and making immediate friends right off the back. It's something that still continues to this day. Once you get sucked into the East Coast camp out lifestyle and all the events, it'll pull you in pretty hard. Yeah. What are some of your favorite events from the beginning there? There is a man called Bubba that owns a camp. His father's house is on a nice piece of land in, in Lynchburg. And anytime he hosts an event, especially Hillbilly Highland games, I always try to make sure to go out to that because I think it was one of the first events I ever went to on the East coast. And the trail itself is he gets in his truck and then he drives 
400 feet and then you catch up to him and you do that three times and that's trail because the main event is all about flippy cup slip and slide there's tug of war that somehow still involves beer and it's all these games that he puts together on his property it's just an area out in the middle of nowhere that you can just tan i want to say half the people don't wear clothes all the time it's just so much fun i think that was before I really started transitioning into the hotel events, when I started going to like Savannah Green Dress, Party Gras in Tidewater, and of course the very infamous uh, Trash Prom, which I've been told is already sold out. <laughs> we just had Savannah Green Dress a couple weeks ago, along with Party Gras. And then Tidewater just had their green dress. And the next major thing on my agenda is something that I have become, I'm not really sure how it happened, but I ended up becoming one of the organizers for is the fourth running of the 24 hour hash, which we're really excited about. This is a major event. How many people do that? What is the scheme of that? The first time it was held, I was deployed overseas. And the idea that they came up with was to hash for 24 hours and to have a trail every two hours. So in 24 hours, you'll do 12 trails and go roughly between 30 and 40 miles. And when I got to do it for the first time, it was the second running in Richmond and we ended up doing about 37 miles and we almost killed and ate the RA at the end of trail because we were so delirious. Last year when I had surgery, I think it was three days out of surgery and then we still went up to DC and held it. And now we're bringing it back to Tidewater. We've upped the Rego to exactly 69 hashers and last time I checked, there were only five Rego spots left and we're going to take them around Norfolk. We're going to show them the best that Norfolk has to offer. And this year we got a t-shirt, a patch, actually, technically there's a secret patch. So you could earn two and a really excellent gimme, which is a pillow. So you could rest your head in between trails. What time of day does it start? What are the 24 hours? We start at 1 PM and then at the end of each trail, uh, at about 15 minutes before the start of the next one, we'll have a closing circle and then immediately we'll shut it down with the beer prayer and then immediately start the opening circle for the next trail. And we have a dry bag vehicle for everyone to put their stuff in so they don't have to carry everything. And then we have support vehicles throughout the day to either go pick up more beer or water or food, or if somebody wants to call it quits, they'll drive them wherever they need to go and then come back to just be a general backup in case people can't make it through the how fit do people have to do it? can you walk every trail or you got to run every trail what's it take to complete this the goal is to have every trail be walkable in an hour to an hour and 15 minutes even if you're walking the entire thing you can still do it you just need to be able to keep moving and you'll still have time for roughly 45-ish, maybe 30 minutes at the least to rest your head, change your socks, take care of whatever you need to, and then just keep moving. And I really appreciate the event because it's it focuses a lot on endurance. And about halfway through, all the pack starts, minus about five to seven runners, but all the pack starts to really stick together. And we mm. start getting this magical deliriousness that the jokes start getting really weird. The people start accusing random people of nonsense. You start seeing some real insanity. And I put together a video of a bunch of Facebook live updates I did for the Richmond 24 hour hash. And you can see people just generally get 
more and more delirious as time goes on. So by the time you get to the end of it, you hate everyone and everything, and you're questioning all your life decisions. Is the circle run by the same RA or GM of a way through? The Richmond one, they did different RAs here and there, depending on whoever was there. Except for the last one, we told the RA of Richmond he wasn't allowed to because he had left halfway through and ate Waffle House and showered three times. So we told him we would eat him if, if he RA'd. But when we did DC, because I was three days out of appendix surgery, I just did the closing and opening circle for every single trail. And that seemed to work out pretty all right. So depending on how sober I am in the middle of the night, I may hand off RA, but we're just going to play it by ear and see what kind of craziness happens. Yeah. So do people fall asleep? In circle? I definitely, I would say a lot of people are able to take naps throughout the night because I continue drinking throughout the night. So usually I'm much too drunk to actually sleep. I can stay awake and keep people entertained if they can't sleep either. All right. So this is number four? Yes. And you were you there at the first one? No, I was deployed for that one. Sent me merch in the mail, which was a pair of underwear with big 24-hour symbols, which was fun to explain to very professional military officers as they watch me open my mail. But no, I've been at every single one since, and I've been helping plan since last year. And then I, and then this one as well. Nice. Tidewater H3, what was your steps to get into? How long did it take to get into mismanagement there? So I've been hashing with Tidewater since 2017, but I was deployed most of 18. And then I was overseas and starting a kennel during COVID. But when I came back from Diego Garcia, because I had started up and ran a kennel successfully over there, I just thought I'm an idiot and I could stand up and be an RA. And so I just volunteered and then nobody ran against me. So I've been elected in 2022 and then they just reelected me again because apparently I'm uh, an okay, funny enough idiot. There you go. Do you know the history of Diego Garcia H3 before you got there? Three's company, right after COVID hit, he left and went to Diego in 2020. And he convinced me just based on his shenanigans that I needed to go out there. But because of COVID, the kennel had shuttered itself. And so by the time I got there, he was holding up his hands and he's, we did a dress run, but now the kennel has died. And I don't really think you can start it up again because of this, that, and the third. And he didn't realize I was an unstoppable force of nature. It was one, one day after two months of being there that I told people we're going to do something dumb and we're going to drink in the forest and I'm going to teach you a couple of songs. And even though I tried to get in contact with anyone that may still have been on the island, my entire time there, I never ran into anyone from the former Diego Kennel. Were there any hashers when you got it started? How many hashers were on the island? When I got there, one of the good drinking buddies I had, his name was Dirty Old Banana. He had hashed in Jacksonville a very long time ago. He knew what hashing was enough to know what I was doing, but he had no idea about a single song or any kind of lyrics that he could remember. Mm -hmm. When I started up the kennel with, I think we had 12 people at our first run, I was singing by myself for the first month and a half, even though I printed out a bunch of lyrics trying to get people and roll people into the songs to get them to know at least a solid 20 songs to get us through circle. But I want to say within a couple months out of an island of 400 to 450, we were starting to get 50 people coming to 
the hash at first every Saturday and then every other Saturday, because it's a very small island. We, we had to lower it down and we eventually turned it into a $10 a run kennel because nobody has cars. So everyone would have multiple drinks at every beer stop. And we were burning through four, $400 to $450 a trail. Are you in touch with them now since you left? Is it still going? That's one of the funny stories I have about this place is because the entire island is a military base and because it's owned by the British, there were certain rules we had to follow. One of the American rules was you could only drink in designated areas, but because we're the hash, we have to drink wherever there's a beer check, which is usually the forest or the jungle out there. So even though it was technically illegal what we were doing, the only people that could stop us were the British police, which were these Royal Marines out there, and all of the British police had turned into hashers. And so while there was an investigation going on to try to prove that we were breaking the rules, even though I did, once I left the island, I handed it down to a GM, I handed all my stuff down. I wrote specific rules on how to handle certain people and who to pay off. And there was a little bit of corruption involved. The hash ended up being banned by the commanding officer of the island two months after I left. All they needed was a less charismatic figure behind the, the hash was doing. And the people that I put in charge of the hash, they stopped doing certain payoffs and stopped giving lip service to certain people. And then the whole house of cards came collapsing out. Wow. The original founder was Little Dingy. Have you ever heard of him? Or do you know? No, I haven't. Okay. He, I've, done, I've interviewed him so you can, we can track down his podcast and hear the story of the very first trails on Diego Garcia. I've known some other people have gone through there and hashed and been there when there wasn't hashing, but good on you. You founded a club, whether it was resurrected or not, that's good for you. We ended up naming ourselves the Diego Garcia Degenerates because for our first event, I told everyone that we're going to do a red dress run and I planned it so we would run through the main beach bar of the island when the entire command staff was there. I thought it was funny, except for our command master chief. I walked over with three shots of tequila, one for me, one for my master chief and one for him. And I go, Master Chief, can I interest you in a shot on our drinking club? Because it's already paid for. And he looked at us, and I'm not sure which words I can say here, but the exact quote was, what are you faggot degenerates doing? <laughs> and I didn't get angry. I immediately smiled because that was all the blackmail that I needed. And I go, thank you, Master Chief. You just named us. I took his shot. I took my shot. My Master Chief took his shot. And I pranced away. And we, we didn't have a single problem with them the rest of the time I was there. I'm pretty sure that's what the blackmail that held it together so long until I left was. How easy was it to get a hold of red dresses on Diego Garcia? I came to the island with a red dress, obviously, and a green dress just in case. But I told people a month in advance, order a red dress because we're going to have fun. And it takes three weeks for the mail to get there. I went to the British and said, hey, we're having a red dress run. And they looked at me and goes, and yeah, I got one in the closet because I didn't know that the British love dressing up in, as women. No, just, it doesn't matter for them. They just think it's a good time. That's excellent. All right, Tidewater, you started running it as the RA. How big was Tidewater then when you were the RA position? The Obviously, COVID took a heavy hit and because before COVID, we were getting some pretty decent numbers. On Sundays, we could 
maybe get up to 35, maybe 40 people. And when I came back, we were still suffering through finding out what it meant to hash in this new world, this new community with masks, maybe no masks, what kind of songs we're singing, if people are having trouble with Swing Low. When I took over, it was almost as right as the pendulum was starting to swing back over the spring, summer, and fall of 2022 under our new GM, Gave Educator Dick, we worked out a really good working relationship and worked to make the hash fun again. And over the summer, we were getting 50 to 60 people on a regular basis that even carried through into the colder months. At the end of it, I always do the beer prayer just to avoid people's opinions on swing low because somebody always has one or two. And honestly, one of the main issues we're having in the kennel is we have problems finding t times to name everyone because we've gotten such an influx of people that uh, now, even now we have to space out time because there's always a list of people that are ready for a name. They've already heard a trail. We have to get them in the hairline because that's already booked up through six months. We have really good hashers out here that for Beermeister and Hair Razor that the kennel's running very smoothly right now. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, good problems to have. Good for you. Let's go on a little bit on the dark side here. Okay. With other clubs that you're hashing, with the change of culture and the hash getting wider, we get all kinds of people with all kinds of differing political, social opinions. Have you seen any of the other clubs have to change their culture, traditions, or behavior? I've seen a lot of people or in a, in traveling around in other kennels, because I definitely do consider myself a travel hasher. They have had trouble with people raising concerns about a lot of things. One of the easy ones that I'll talk about first is swing low and the history behind that and people having trouble with it, always being sung at the end of a circle. And in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of people, it's the, one of the easiest things to sidestep because you'll have older hashers sit there and talk about our traditions. In my opinion, the hash is there as a break from reality and the monotony of quote unquote real life. If it's not fun and I'm not having a good time, maybe it's time to make a new tradition. So everyone is having a good time together. I know a lot of people that have just switched to the beer prayer because it just sidesteps all of that. And we still have a good time and it doesn't interrupt the general rhythm and flow of the hash. But one thing that I do think is a big issue on the East coast that is now being addressed a little bit better is the status of band hashers. Right. Yeah. Is that something that ever happened on your club? But we've definitely had a couple incidents in our kennel and then also surrounding kennels as well. Mismanagement in a lot of kennels that I know, they're not perfect. And there are some that are still having issues, but there's a lot of them that are not standing by for people's bad behavior anymore. They're not going to stand up and say, oh, they're just like that when they're drunk, or this is just like a one-off for what could be a very serious problem. One of the prime examples was Trash Prom this last year. I watched the GM, Toys for Twats. She made some very immediate decisions when she saw some behavior that was very much not appropriate and just across the line so far that she went up to these people and say, hey, you're out of this event right now. You're also, I'm going to put you on band H3. That immediately puts them in a place where other kennels can check and say, I'm going to make sure that this person is not allowed at my event because they went out, showed their ass in somebody else's kennel and with their behavior, and they're immediately discontinued from really the hash as a whole. And 
that's something that I really appreciate is when people don't condone that behavior right off the bat. Yeah, it's interesting to explain to people. Some clubs in some corners of the world, you go to Tonga or Cook Islands, and it's a small expat community, and nobody misbehaves. And they say, we're all crazy. But there's a difference between people letting loose and with other people's lives or putting anybody at risk for lots of things. So I think what you said is really well said. And I think to people that haven't encountered it or thought about it, I don't think we need to talk about it more. I think you just explained it really well, <laughs> but good. Thanks for that. What about the other traditions? What do you think about all male or all female clubs? Do you go on any hashes where there are kids? What about all that diversity and how's all that fit in your hashing experience? At the end of the day, I, at least for hashing traditions, I go back to something I created in Diego because when I came up, there was, we just hear repeated over and over, it's hashing, there are no rules. When I came up with exactly one rule, I would always tell people right off the back, especially new to hashing, there's only one rule here, don't do anything that you don't want to do. And I would look at them and go, if you don't want to do something, say, drink that beer or put that banana in your mouth. The only thing that I'm going to do is call you a pussy. And do you care if an idiot dressed in a kilt that you've never met before that looks weird calls you a pussy? And their answer is always the same. No, I don't care. Good. I'm going to find somebody that I can make fun of and I'll just kick you away. In that experience, I spread that to everyone new that comes to the hash now. And I just always make sure that consent is a huge part of the conversation where it may not have been a huge thing when I first discovered hashing for some older hashers because it was understood a little bit, but mm -hmm. nowadays we need to definitely put that more out there that consent's a huge thing and that needs to be a tradition. But moving on to like male only or female only kennels, I think it's people's entire choice who they want to hash with and what kind of club they want to have. For female only, I know Tidewater has a female only kennel called the Clam H3 that they run once a month. And the only men that are allowed are one to two that are called shuckers. And it's their job to wait on the women hand and foot for their hash. And I think that it was a counterbalance to any kind of male only kennel, which I honestly believe it's their prerogative. They want to have a male only group as well. I don't think all clubs should be inclusive for everyone. If you don't want to be a part of it, then go found something that you can be proud of or go to a kennel that is co-ed, which is at least most of them in America. The, I think the only male only kennel that I've been to at this point was world hash in 2018. And even then, cause it was world hash, they, they had, they allowed women. You're not too far down the road from Rumson. And I don't know if you've ever hashed with Rumson. It's a good one to get on your checklist. Let's talk about your travels and what's happened to your happy coat once you hit mainland North America and we're hashing. I would say the, obviously I started getting pat patches once I got to Virginia and started traveling around and created my own patch. Once I got back from my deployment, I dove into travel hashing like there was no tomorrow and probably racked up 10 or 20,000 miles on my car in a year, just driving around everywhere from Georgia to Pennsylvania. And then going to world hash and exchanging patches with people from everywhere. It got to the point where I had to custom order my own happy coat in the style of Aloha's and it's now an Aloha style, but it's a cloak with a hood 
that goes all the way down to my ankles. And I had somebody sew as many patches on as they could. And even at that time in 2020, I only got about half of my patches on there, including the front side. One side is all just lunar patches. Cause I, anytime a gay comes up with a new lunar patch to support, make a wish condition, I always have to buy it because I'll just think in my head, not only do I want the patch, I'm also helping children. So it's only Nice. What? Let's talk about your patch. There, you can find you can find a few of the Rumpson guys that are patch fans at all, and there's definitely patch fiends. There's people who will only wear patches that they've been to. What was the process you came up with to design yours? It was funny because in the very beginning, I believe Asher should. I really didn't like my name because there, there was nothing to it. There was no image in my mind. It was just like salute door. We named him it because he's bisexual and got him. It's really not what kind of image to put to it. And eventually I believe I was talking with detective who was a mother brucker hash. And I still save the very first patch out of the pack for him because I have not run into him for wow. six years now. He, we sat down together at a camp out and talked about it and we eventually came up with my original patch design. It says saloon door at the top with two saloon doors on, on each side. And in the middle, it's Woody from Toy Story banging Jesse. And then behind him is Buzz Lightyear also banging him. I feel like it got everything I needed to describe why I was named saloon door. How many of those have you ever made? My original order was for 200. Then I had to reorder another 200 think I'm down to 50 of my original. So there's at least 350 of my patches running around somewhere. And that's the original patch. And then I recently commissioned a new one with Rob patches, which is the characters from cowboy bebop in the same kind of situation. And it just said slow door at the top. So I felt it was time for an update with the new style and 2.0 uh, saloon yeah. door patch 2.0. 2.0. I wanted something new to put out there, especially feeling like COVID was the bookmark and this is the new chapter. And Double Dip Tip, who runs Hab Bazaar, had no problem with that because I just put all my patchwork through her and quite the customer over there. Nice. That covers pretty much your good story of hashing. I know a lot of it's in the clouds of alcoholic lost memory, but any other... Are there any events that rise to the top? Who are, the, who are some of the people you've met that just blow you away? Just say, that's somebody that gets hashing that I'll always look forward to seeing at an event. There's definitely some people around that are my chaos demons because it's certain people that you get around that bring out a side of you that is, I would say, not dangerous for everyone else involved, but you definitely, you feed off each other's energy. And all of a sudden you find yourself half naked walking around with a bottle of Malort trying to get people to drink it. I would say a Three's Company, definitely. He, and who's now out of New Orleans. And uh, Chunky in the back is also definitely a dangerous person for me to be around. We were at Savannah Green Dress recently and definitely made ourselves everyone else's problem. I have a pretty good friend group now that we try to coordinate going all to the same events together and like tits for tats, dude, where's my car? Nomo butt hose cookie and a couple other people around here. If there's one event that I hope happens again, that I don't believe will ever happen again is somebody putting together a inner America's hash cruise because the people that I talk with, it was probably one of the most fun times I've ever had in my entire life. But the people that I talk with who had to spend five years 
planning it, say that they will never be involved in anything like that ever again, because it was like a second job for them. Yeah, it's tough. I wasn't able to make it really to get such a thing. You almost need a million dollar deposit to guarantee for the boat. So yeah, it may be that was a one-time ever event. There's plenty of hash cruises, but nothing like on that scale may ever happen again. Mm -hmm. I know, I believe it's Babe Thruster puts together a Jolly Roger cruise every now and again, which can still get roughly a hundred to 150 hashers together, which would be fun. But the fact that we were able to rent an entire cruise ship and have an entire deck that was, that you could be naked on that, in that entire area was just a surreal experience that I don't think could be repeated. I know Savannah Greendress, or the Savannah Kennel has talked about maybe putting something like that on again. I've heard through the grapevine, but God only knows they need a backer and a bunch of people that could dedicate hundreds of hours to help them do it. Almost 20 years ago, I went on a babe cruise out of New Orleans. He used to do one. And it was a lot of Tampa people went on it. Mm -hmm. Jacks, I was in Jacksonville at the time. And I did, we did a little cruise there. And even that with Mexico, some of the stops you can make on it, pull off hash trails. It's hard. Yeah, it's not easy. You're still in the Navy and some of your travel is constrained by where they send you and your schedule there. But is there a bucket list of places you'd like to hash in the rest of North America? Or I would say that for my... American hashing, there's definitely a couple ones that I want to get to, such as Tex-Mex and Texas Interhash, because I've heard a lot of good things about them. I know I'm not going to keep trying to get me to go down there. And then at some point, a Jolly Roger cruise, just to see how it is. Since I did World Hash in Southeast Asia, and I had such a fun time over there, is to, if I ever get the opportunity to explore a Euro hash, because I've heard such good things. I know Spare Rib on Hash Cruise it, it, was really trying to talk me up to go there. And I wish I could have made Prague this last one, but that's definitely on the short list. But outside of that, I think Europe would be the next place. And the world of big events, the good news is it is good to have people like you who love RAing and can step into a crowd, whether you know them or not. That's often a part of having enough. Once you get to those big events, there's multiple circles and need people. So. I'm sure we will cross paths on those big events at some point. I hope so. And uh, just for the listeners, even though there's plenty of stories I could go on, I have one story about RAing that is just to tell your NFNs to keep them in line. I was at White House camp out this last year. And while we were on trail, somebody found a mattress. And the whole thing about White House trail is you go on trail and then the last half of the trail, you get in inner tubes and work your way all the way back to the campsite. They had found a mattress on trail and as we were getting really excited for no good reason about this mattress and trying to figure out how to take it down the river with us, these NFNs, we overheard them saying, I've been waiting for a name for weeks. I bet that mattress gets named before. And me and a man named Tragic looked at each other and went, oh, you want to have that attitude? So we held an impromptu circle in the middle of the river and we named that mattress Tragic Mattress Ride. And we made sure all the NFNs watched us do it. And then we stared at them for at least a solid, silent 15 seconds. And we're just like, no, not to open your mouth about this. And that as soon as we got back to the campsite, we threw it in the fire. Just to show them how little we cared. 
think I heard about that story from somebody else once. There's a lot of stories that could be told, but people are just going to have to find me out there at one of these major events. Because if this podcast is illustrative of one thing, it's that I love to talk. I'll let people know that if they're ever come to Tidewater, I can always uh, try to help you up with the events or try to help you find crash space. And then the next events that I'm going to are the 24-hour hash, Larrikin's Camp Out. And especially, I would always suggest everyone keep an eye out for this. The Rigo Goes Live May 10th for Shiki Fest. It is one of the best campouts you will ever attend. And it's in the Tidewater area. Um, we get really, really irresponsible out there. Brilliant. That's good. All right. One final question. Yes. Is the RA always right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely not. And it all depends on if the RA can convince the pack he's right. Because if they decide he's wrong, he better have something ready to step in with. Because the RA's first and foremost job is to be funny. And second is to keep things rolling. So if you're not funny, you better figure out how to be. All right, Saloon Door, this was a good interview. You were funny and you kept things rolling. So it was great to meet you. Thanks for your time. <laughs> On on. On on to you too. Thank you. This is the On On Podcast. Hasher voices, hasher stories, hasher history. New episodes every week. Until next time, on on. This is Ra. To close the circle, here's the hash anthem sung by Mother Hash. Swing low, sweet child.